Are you ready for some nosy bitches? Because this is about to get explicit. Hey, bitches. Hey, friends. Hey, Carla. Michael, how are you doing, girl? It's good. It's good. You know, first of all, can I just say, you did such a good job with Selena. It was such, <laughs> it was such a good episode. Part of what I love about doing this is you get to learn a lot about these things that you probably only knew at a surface level before you start diving into them. And they're always more tragic than you imagined, but there's also a lot more humanity behind them. Genuinely feel walking out of Selena like I I want to have known her, you know? Like, I want to be buddies with her. She just seemed like a good person, and it sucks when people are taken from us. Well, I felt like we walked away, like, understanding her story, so I think you did a good job. Well, thanks. I am really excited to hear today's story. Yeah, so this one, if you remember from the Selena episode, we... Wanted to pay homage. My grandfather recently passed away, and he was just a really rad guy. Um, he's my namesake, or I'm, I'm his namesake, I guess. I'm mm-hmm. named after him, and uh, just was a good male influence in my life. And I feel like some of those are in shockingly short supply these days. Like, so true. <laughs> you know? so, so true. When we have them, I just want to celebrate them. And he especially was just such a light to me and someone that I genuinely looked up to, someone that... I respect a lot and the more I've learned about his life you know when when someone passes there's always these stories being told about them and you learn more about them especially as like a grandchild a Mm -hmm. lot of this I was never exposed to you learn more about them than you ever knew before and all of it is just kind of affirming what I already saw to be true that he just was this fun loving guy that worked hard and um like to razz on people and like to terrify his grandchildren he loved terrorizing us and (laughs) I, I think like grandparents had such like I've said it before like I had an amazing dad I have an amazing dad my kids have an even better grandfather yeah but like I had a really Bill, you are awesome yeah he is I was like he's pretty good I'm a fan yeah. yeah and I had a great grandfather I just I loved my grandfather both of them and my my dad's dad so my mom's dad was amazing and my dad's dad was really good he had had boy all boys and he ended up with like a majority of girls for granddaughters and he was you know (laughs) culture shock yeah (laughs) poor guy (laughs) yeah he was probably actually probably worked out that way um he was ready to spoil us and but he was like really big that as girls that we understood math and science and that was really important to him grandfathers are so important in the lives and I have such great memories. I'm so glad that my kids have a really good grandfather. Actually, they have two really good grandfathers. So that makes me happy. And it, it like, I don't know, it warms my heart when you talk about your grandfather. So I'm very, it's always, you know, interesting to talk about true crime. But in this case, because yeah, it's paying homage, I'm even more excited to hear. Yeah. And one last thing on like grandpa's too, like he, I feel really fortunate that I got to experience him all the way up until 36. Yes. I feel so lucky that set of grandparents are actually pretty young. He wasn't even 80 yet. If it hadn't been for the cancer, I hope that he would have had at least another decade with us. I hope my grandma has a long, long time with us. And I feel so fortunate. Thomas, neither of his grandparents, like, even into his memory. So, you know, maybe before he was five, they had all passed. Mm -hmm. And it's like, 
they're such an integral part like and great that's got to be so fun i'm not a parent but if i were i would just be waiting for the day to be a grandparent where i just get to spoil the little rugrat oh and i don't have to do any of the hard work well to you grandpa michael wherever the heck you are these days my grandpa was a big fan of westerns so this is a story right out of the old west one that i hope he would have been really proud to hear he probably knew this story i don't know that he did all those things that you wish you had asked a person when they were alive, I don't know. I think he would have enjoyed this story. So this one is for you, Grandpa. The year is 1887. Oh, I'm negative going. 100. <laughs> we are going back. <laughs> we're going way, way back. To understand how far back, Grover Cleveland is the president of the US of A. I have no idea who that is, by the way. <laughs> okay, do you recognize the name Cleveland? I, I do. Grover, like, not so much. Cleveland, sure. I feel so detached from sometimes the presidents, but some of this other stuff I was more familiar with, so I don't feel like a complete citizen failure. Um, the United States is just over a century old as a country. We only have 38 states at the time. So the Dakotas, Montana, Washington, Idaho, Wyoming, Utah, Oklahoma, New Mexico, Arizona, Alaska, and Hawaii. None of them have statehood yet. Okay. So they are... Uh, these territories across the northern and western United States um, that are kind of in dispute a lot of the time, but none of them have received statehood. So to put us in some better perspective here too, because uh, you know I like my kind of like world events to yes, take us back it. in time. So Georgia O'Keeffe, the great American modernist painter, was born in this year in November. I remembered her from some of her flower paintings. Yeah. Um, and then Doc Holliday, the infamous dentist turned gunfighter, <laughs> died in November of this year. He was only 36 years old, but he died in 1887. It's kind of pertinent to this story because it's old Western, but like his big claim to fame is the OK Corral shootout or whatever. But he had killed like a, a dozen or 20 men in his time. And he was just this old time dentist turned kind of renegade just really interesting guy but i see a new episode in our future <laughs> fascinating fascinating stuff and he actually died in colorado which to our point about 1887 that was the state that had been most recently granted statehood was colorado we are so thankful for that we really are i love me some colorado <laughs> we're in what is considered the gilded age of the united states the industrial revolution is in full swing the country is growing rapidly its economy is growing right alongside the population Everything is booming, and this is especially true in the North and in the West. And in the West is where, of course, our story takes place today in honor of Grandpa. We're specifically looking at No Man's Land, which consisted of the converging territories that make up modern-day Oklahoma, Kansas, Colorado, Texas, and New Mexico. So it's like that Oklahoma panhandle that's right on top of Texas is, is kind of where we're talking about. Again, this is disputed lands. And it's the kind of environment that really encouraged the existence of outlaws, drifters, thieves on the dark side of things. Yeah. But also remember this economy starting to boom. So on the light side of things, you're seeing these salesmen come in, these entrepreneurs, these farmers, um, especially cattle farmers were starting to come in. What we do know about No Man's Land at the time was that it was a notoriously difficult place to survive. Travel was hard. Mm -hmm. The terrain was unrefined and was even more unforgiving. The climate was harsh as fuck, and it could range from frigid overnight temps during the winter to sweltering, boiling daytime temps during the summer. You're basically in the desert of the United States. And to make matters even more difficult, 
it's not like it is today. You couldn't just roll up on some Hojo or Holiday Inn Express, right? You're literally going out on horseback through through the desert and hoping that you just make it to the next safe spot along the way. The only reason that this time sets out to me, because I was just double checking the date, there is a Yellowstone spinoff that was you don't watch TV, but I, <laughs> I was going to say, I really nothing but TV. But it was Yellowstone 1883 and it starred Faith Hill and Tim McGraw. Wait, what? Yeah, it's a great show. But it's so it's just like a few years before this. Yeah. And we really watched them come into their land of where they ended up building their yes. Yellowstone ranch as the show is known today and what it took. For them to get there i have in my mind some pictures of like what that so if any of you have seen that that might be a good reference of like what this time period because it's just a couple of years from that yeah 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 i number one i love that now i kind of want to watch that especially mm-hmm. i love faith hill <laughs> so. first of all tim mcgraw we already knew was a good actor yeah both of them absolutely fabulous i didn't know that she could act like that i would love to see her in future things it's such a, a cool time to consider because it really was lawless. Like it, it was li- literally these vigilantes, whoever could stake the best claim to the area and then oftentimes kind of intimidate people the most. Right. Was kind of who was the law at the time. My, how things have changed. And there was a part of this too that we won't get into in this episode, but just how important the West was to kind of the attitude of the United States, that kind of renegade, I'm going to take it, I'm going to take this opportunity and run with it. Like, I think that's a big part of our country's success. So there is a part of it that it's like, you look back at it point in time, I would never want to live there. But thank God there were people like that, that were kind of doing that and turn this country into what it is. Let's go back to the West. All of these less than ideal factors mixed with some of the colorful and sometimes dangerous characters that accompany them meant that many who traveled to or through No Man's Land, because you had to do that if you were going south to north, east to west, any of it, right? They didn't make it out alive. And because of the outlaw nature of the area at the time, a significant portion of their deaths and disappearances would honestly never be solved. Most of them would never even be investigated. You just were like considered, you're taking your life into your own hands if you're going out there. I wonder like what, how crazy of a world that is to just be like, well, they're gone. Right? <laughs> well, well, we knew it was in the... <laughs> yeah, it could happen. It could have... Uncle Johnny went out west. He he got what we all thought was coming to him. Yeah, I was like, bye. Uh, Some people I'd sent out to the west. But it's true. Tra- travelers basically had to rely on the hospitality of tavern owners and saloon owners to have any decent prayer of making it through the vastness of that wilderness at the time that was the new American West. And in 1887, one such brave traveler was a man named J.T. Taylor. As we bring him into focus, he's a man from Chicago. He's a salesman, and he's managed to be really successful in the big city. We don't know a lot about what he sold because it's 1887 and the West. And yeah, we don't have records of all of that necessarily. But what we do know is that he was pretty good at it. Our impressions of J.T. that we know about say that he dressed like he had money but also that he had ambition Mm -hmm. to make even more money sort of thing. Um, He was new money to be sure. He wasn't confident enough to be from old money from what people say of his personality, but he was from money nonetheless. And he saw opportunity in no man's land, a way to fulfill his wildest dreams and by getting into markets that were untapped up to that point. 
it wasn't unusual for salesmen to travel through no man's land. You may not even be specifically going there, but you might be going from the north to Texas or from a place like Chicago down to somewhere else there. So we don't know if JT was specifically going out there to be in no man's land and to travel out west or if he was just on his way to something and the west was kind of on his way. His journey up till now had been fruitful. He was making a good living and enjoying the raw potential that the new country had to offer, but it had also been really hard. The summer had been long and fucking hot, so you can only imagine the relief that he felt when he stumbled across a tavern as he was passing through an area in Backwoods, Oklahoma. It's near modern-day Beaver, Oklahoma. It's about 25 miles from there. Um, which is important in this time because Beaver City was an important fur trading post that had been set up in the 1870s. That's the time period that we're talking about, Carla. I wish that you could see her face, everyone. I'm just dying that it was called Beaver City. Beaver City. Fur trading. I'm sure they all wanted to go to Beaver City. <laughs> we did say we were going to get explicit. My very we just next, didn't know. My, my very next line is, it looked cozy and comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it did. <laughs> Not for me. Anyway, the place looked cozy and comfortable. It was run by what seemed to be an upstanding family with the last name of Kelly. So let's meet some of the Kelly family. We have William, the father. He's in his mid-50s. His wife, Kate, also in her mid-50s. And their son, Billy, and daughter, Kit, who we think were in like early 20s and late teens, respectively. And Kit, one of the things that JT noticed was that she wasn't too hard on the eyes. He didn't mind looking at her at all. The 14-year-old? No, he, she was in her late teens. Oh, late so, teens. So, yeah, okay, yeah, like sorry, 18, sorry. 19 is what we think. Like, okay, I've heard gotcha. maybe as young as 17, but, like, an adult for all okay. intents and purposes. Yeah. Well, and probably definitely in the 1800s. 100%. She I mean, was, like, getting to be an old maid at that point. And to be fair, about? 14 probably would have been a fine age to back then, too. <laughs> okay. That, <laughs> while I know it's true, it's Weird still for us. awful. My grandmother <laughs> was married at 14, so. My grandmother, we, yeah, married at 15. Yeah, so. weird for us, normal for them. Okay, That's late right. teens, got it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he didn't mind looking at her and also didn't mind talking to her. She, in even later reports, would be known as someone that was an engaging young woman. She was easy to talk to. She seemed smart and capable. She had great taste, even taking notice to compliment his nice clothes that we had mentioned. And he had this really nice gold pocket watch that she had taken a particular interest in, which he appreciated because he really enjoyed the pocket watch as well. The whole family seemed friendly and sent on making sure that he had a good and safe stay, which again, Wild West, he's like, jackpot. Right, big deal. I can sleep safely tonight. That sounds like a good idea. Whole family invites him in. They're making sure his stay is good so far. And after a few drinks, JT is invited into the dining room by William. They say that Kate is going to make a dinner for him. He's going to get a hot meal on the road. He's all about this. He's caught up in conversation with William and Billy about the difficulties, but also all the opportunity of being here in the West. Kate is hard at work in the kitchen making dinner, and Kit is flitting between the dining room and the kitchen helping her mother, but also coming out and making sure that she engages in conversation with him. He might have been making a thing of it himself, he might have been imagining it, but it also seemed like Kit was making a point at smiling at him every time she came back into the dining room, and he thought it was a lovely smile. The dinner that Kate prepared was immaculate, the best meal he had had in weeks. 
just what he needed after such a trying summer, and the company was almost as delicious as the meal. His heart and his mind were almost as full as his belly. The night continues on in good order, laughing and carrying on. A good time was had by all. Eventually, as the evening is starting to wind down, Kit brings in after dinner drinks. JT knows, I probably shouldn't do this. I've already had one too many. But her smile convinces him once again, just as it had all night. Maybe just one more. Yeah. This is fine. She presents him with a brandy. It smells great. Has some complexity to it. JT is getting ready to take his first swig of the concoction when BANG! JT's. <laughs> I'm getting too old for that. <laughs> right as he raised his brandy glass, he heard this tinny tinker of a spring, almost like a mouse trap, before the sensation of falling took over. He toppled backwards and down, and crack! Landed hard on his back. Really hard. The fall had broken something, maybe many things. JT's body is numb and tingling in some areas and too alert in others, including his eyes, which look straight up to see a brief glimpse of Kit's face. And her face is framed by the rectangular shape of a trap door that was in the floor of the dining room above him. One that had been designed exactly for people like JT. Kit smiled one last time, that lovely smile, before the trapdoor closed, sending JT into darkness. This couldn't be real. <laughs> JT's sitting there thinking, I haven't done anything wrong. I'm a good man. I've made a good living. How could this be happening? Was anyone going to help him? Like, he's literally in the basement of this tavern out in the middle of the Old West. Like, is anyone even going to find him? Going to wonder what the heck happened to him. No, they're going to think he just went out to the left. Bye. <laughs> yeah, bye. He never showed up back again. Like, something out here. Like, sorry. Bye, JT. Right. <laughs> Girl. He would get his answer soon, though. Because after what seems like forever to him, I can only imagine. Like, you're laying in the dark on your back. You've broken something. You fell down into this fucking cellar as you were having your dinner. And he had one final moment of hope. Because the floor above him, see, it had grown quiet for quite some time. It might have been a couple of hours. And then he heard a door open, a door that must have been connected to a set of steps leading to the cellar because the next sounds he processed were the agonizingly slow beats of boots making their way down the stairs. But of course, because we run a true crime podcast, this would not be his rescue. Right. <laughs> the last set of images that JT would see were those of William Kelly walking over him, holding an axe, determined and ready to finish the job. After this, we don't know exactly what happened, but we do know some of the high-level details, so let me go into those. For one, J.T. Taylor was reported missing by presumably friends or family, and his disappearance would be investigated throughout the rest of 1887. There are some records throughout that say that they legitimately were trying to get to the bottom of what happened to him. As for the Kellys, as anyone best could tell, they simply left they gave no notice to the surrounding townsfolk. Their once popular roadside tavern was now abandoned, which really was too bad, according to many. The Kellys had built a good reputation as hardworking folk. Their location was convenient, so not having them around meant that travelers were going to have to go a lot further before they could find safety while they were on their... In fact, some in the settlement even feared foul play. After all, this was no man's land. What if right. someone had gone after them? Which is why on one winter's day at the end of 1887, a group of people, 
led by a man named S.T. Gregg, decided to investigate the house and tavern. He had stayed there before on one of his own travels, and he had had a great impression of the tavern and the Kellys, so that alone made him curious. And then there was now this mysterious connection to this J.T. Taylor, who had been uh, reported missing from another state, but who had also stayed at this tavern. Greg wanted to search the home and tavern because of this, and what he would find would terrify everyone involved. As he and his posse approached the tavern's front door, they were hit with a horrible smell. Oh, gosh. Now, at this point, we know that it was at least several days, might have been a few weeks since the Kellys had left. We're not entirely sure. Okay, so probably, like, so JT was probably the last, or they're, like... Something had happened to JT, and then they left within days, possibly. Probably weeks, but, okay. like, not so long. That because of this, we know that the bodies had not been done decomposing. Okay, so, fair, horrible fair. smell. One of decay and rot. The smell was pervasive. It was everywhere. But the epicenter, while they're searching the house, is ding, 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 over top the dining room. After some searching, they find an entrance to a cellar, and the origin of that smell, three mostly decomposed corpses lying on the cellar floor. Mm. Greg decided he needed the help of authorities at this point. Good call. Right. So a cowboy named Texie joined the investigation turned manhunt. They started by further searching the Kelly's property after Texie had noticed when he was just doing a preliminary search, some loose-looking dirt over by the family's barn. So they went digging there as well, and they would uncover a total of six more bodies. All One of these bodies was, of course, our missing Chicago salesman, J.T. Taylor, who was identified by his fine clothing and his gold pocket watch. So he wasn't was even one missing. of the bodies down in the basement. He was one of the bodies. Oh, okay, they, okay. He was one of the, now we know, nine bodies they found. Okay, I got you. So they found three in the cellar okay. that were not even cellar. buried and yeah. then they found an additional six out by their barn just from looking at the loose dirt. Okay, got it. And JT Taylor was identified by his fine clothing. They also found during their investigation a rusted axe with the remains of blood and human skin still on it. Yum. I know. Just great. Love the old west. This, of course, set Greg and the rest of the group off on a hunt to find the obviously guilty Kelly family at this point. They put out word to other towns in the area of what had occurred so that they could basically be aware. Are they traveling anywhere else? What right. direction are they going? And just a few days later, they received word the Kelly family had passed through the nearby larger city of, you guessed it, Beaver. Mm. <laughs> Beaver City. <laughs> A group of 20 men, after hearing this news, pursued the Kelly family. When they finally caught up to them, this thing was an hours-long chase. Kate, our matriarch, fell off her horse during this pursuit, having broken her neck, and they left her for dead in the desert. Billy and Kit were caught by the gang, and these are the two children. Right. They were hanged by two ropes at a nearby tree, it's rumored that before they were strung up, Kit tried to convince Billy to admit their parts in the multiple killings. Um, Billy was basically trying to say, we didn't do it. This was our parents. Like, let us go. Kit must have had some sort of crisis of conscience. But Billy, supposedly, according to this rumor, cursed their captors towards the end and told them 
that they would have to find out for themselves what wrongdoing they had done. Little did they know they had already uncovered, you know, nine bodies. William, our patriarch, was the last to be captured. He at first refused to admit the wrongdoings of his family, offering instead that they were honest, hardworking people just trying to make their way in life. But the group's responses to this was to string him up momentarily, only to lower him, and now having scared him a little bit, said, let's try this again. (laughs) Can you tell us one more time what happened? William admitted in the end that the family specifically targeted wealthy patrons. Having killed in total, at least this is what he admitted, 11 people, nine men and two women. So they hadn't even found all the bodies at the place. Yeah. In order to steal their belongings. After this admission, William Kelly was stripped of his clothes and his possessions before being left to hang. One of the possessions they found on his person was the golden pocket watch of J.T. Taylor, whose family and friends would always be left to wonder what might have become of him if he'd never gone west. Wow. We've talked about the leasing, <laughs> you know, in the 80s and 70s, right? That, yeah. Like, at that time, like, you really, you only had fingerprints, you had like, hair identification. There really wasn't DNA, let alone touch DNA. Yeah. And so you had to do some really beating the ground, like, investigation. And it's interesting because just 100 years before that, it was kind of the same thing. It was, it had to be something very obvious. So yeah. like as obvious as stumbling upon the person's home, finding bodies, bodies. right? <laughs> it right. doesn't take much to be like, huh, here are I all. I wonder who did this. Yeah, here are, you know, maybe one body. Okay, maybe, <clears throat> maybe something happened here. Like somebody was using this as a kill site. You find nine bodies. The Kellys were involved in this. Like you can put, and it's interesting, like, <laughs> It's that mob mentality, too, like to go after these people and, you know, chase them down. And, you know, it probably did take a, a, probably a day um, and that their their punishment was harsh. You didn't even give them a trial. Yeah. You hung them right where they were at. Because yeah. the other thing is, like, who's there to ask questions? That's right. You've just got this angry mob at this point. Yeah. To say, like, hey, you've killed all these people. Also, I don't know why, like, I was more offended that they had killed two women. <clears throat> I mean, very sad for the men. Yeah. I was like, they killed the women? Well, Because well, I can't imagine yeah. that there was many women traveling by themselves either. That's right. Um, So maybe they were traveling with someone. Maybe, but they made it sound like, so one detail of this was <clears throat> where the trapdoor was seated. It was at the head of the table. I got the impression they kind of targeted solo travelers, Mm -hmm. right? Not someone that would be missed. Their goal, I think, was probably anonymity. Like, let's just kill these wealthy individuals that everyone knows they went out west but doesn't know exactly where they are. Like, it felt like they were really finding their niche. And by the way, that um, Greg character that started the posse in the beginning, the reason they hadn't targeted him when he went through, they didn't target poor people. So if you were just another passerby, like a, so I would be fine. a cattle person, like if you were just trying to make your way, they would leave you alone and they would treat you to a good meal, let you sleep and go along your way. So it wasn't all bad, which was also interesting. Like of all the potentially thousands of people had stayed there, I, I don't mean this to sound as bad as it does, but they only killed 11, <laughs> you know? And they didn't, If their like... goal was just mass murder, they 
yeah, could have done worse. Well, I was I was afraid that you were going to say too that like they had eaten them and stuff like that. Like my right. it could my have gone mind bad. It could have definitely went to a few different places. But how crazy that they were even able to find them. Can you also imagine? I really tried to put myself in that position. You're JT Taylor, and you think you've like hit the jackpot for the night. Like you found this really nice tavern. You know you're going to be safe. They're treating you to a nice meal. Like you're just imbibing. You're kind of hitting on the daughter. She seems to be hitting on you back. And literally, you're going to, like, take a bite or take a drink, and all of a sudden, you fall through the floor. And then are just shut into darkness after you, like, probably broke all these bones. I feel like this is why I stay in chain hotels and not, like, <laughs> mom and pop breakfast places. I know. Because I've watched Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, my God. And some other horror flicks. That is so terrifying. And to know that they did it so meticulously. I wonder how the story, like, I wonder who archived the story, too. To pass down. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I was going to say, somebody must have reported out to the fam. Maybe there's letters or something to the family that had said what had happened. How do you spread the word? My American history comes from the Yellowstone TV show. Oh, God. (laughs) Um, But it it was. that They decided, hey, we're we're coming to get you because you've done something and we're going to kill you. We're just going to let the sheriff know, hey, don't worry. We took care of them. So you don't have to. You don't have to worry about it. That's right. We got you. Yeah. That was a good one. (laughs) This one, so my last little tidbit on this, there was also this famous family, if anyone gets into some Old West true crime, the other big family that you're going to hear about is the Benders. And there was actually rumors that the Kellys and the Benders were the same family and that basically everything that had been befallen the the benders like was all a lie the kellys and the benders were all one and the same that was eventually disproven they said basically the kelly children were too young to have been the bender children but it was the same family of four um a mom dad uh son and daughter and they killed people in the same way they had a trap door underneath i know just crazy and so i'm just like so I the was, wild wild west was a thing man that's crazy so i was just checking to see another <clears throat> if somebody likes this time period or, or these type of things there's a book called devil in the white city and i read it years ago um and it's about the chicago world's fair okay and just all it was kind of the doom the whole thing was doomed but there was also a serial killer that was loose in that time frame. And what's interesting is this serial killer is often, and all this is true, that is often r- rumored to possibly being Jack the Ripper. Oh, Because wow. Jack the Ripper was quiet during this time. So it's a little bit later. It's 1893. Okay. Um, but I mean like six years. Right. Yeah. I was going to say Striking very- distance. Very, yeah. very similar. It's so, still in the Gilded Age, which I think went to like 1890 or something. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of crazy to think about like the World's Fair happening in the 1800s and, and just the things that were happening. But that's a good book. Can you imagine back then if you were actually plugged into all the crimes that were happening, but because there was no law out west. Yeah. None of that had been established. Most of these were still- territories that were in dispute they didn't have governors they didn't have militias you didn't have anyone to keep the peace and it basically was you're on your own i think probably true crime happened every day i liked it michael good job tell us listeners what you thought of this one i thought this was fun going into the old west and looking into some true crime and of course to grandpa i i hope you liked this one if you didn't know this story before hopefully you do now wherever you are and you enjoyed this one so until next time bitches bye
you made it to the end of the podcast. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. And I know that we've given a lot of our unsolicited feedback, but at the end of the day, it's also important that we remember to stay kind, stay curious, but of course, stay nosy, bitches. bitches.